You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we are in the final message of our financial fitness series uh, for the month of October, and I'm looking forward to next month. We'll be on the 10th core value at Gospelite. 10th core value begins with the letter H. I'm going to hold off and even telling you what it is until next Sunday, but you can look online or get one of the core value cards in the back and get a head start. I will tell you what the sermon series title is, What is a Great Church? I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I've been studying uh, the book of Acts and, 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 and just really diving into this thought of what is a great church? You know, so many public, public opinion has thoughts on that. And even you or I, if we were asked the question, what, what makes the church great? I wonder what our answer would be. Uh, so we're going to find out in the month of October over this time period of four or five Sundays what a great church is week by week. And, and I'm so excited, Gospelite, about that. So looking forward to that next week. Uh, but we're concluding our preaching series on the ninth core value, which is generosity, Gospelite, is our way of life. And our theme verse throughout this has been Acts 20, 35, that in every way I've shown you that it is necessary, Paul said, to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Here's what he said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you've been here one, two, or three weeks, you know that we began the series with my brother Brett, who talked about biblical generosity. And he told us what that looked like and what that was. And then the second week out of Matthew 25, uh, Mr. Brown, Daniel, one of our laymen, uh, spoke about stewardship. And and really, the the majority of what he spoke came out of this, that God owns it all. That that everything we have belongs to God. And anything we've been given, we are simply stewards of that. And, And how does that look in our lives today? And how can we become better stewards? Last week, we talked out of Matthew, uh, rather Luke 16, and the parable of the dishonest manager, which is just fascinating. Here was a man who was commended by God or by Jesus for being a shrewd manager or a shrewd person. And uh, we talked about what that means and how, how that we need to be more astute, more discerning about our own finances. In other words, where does our money come from? Where does it go? Uh, how, how do we budget it? And so many asked for that budget. We sent that out last week and had quite a few requests for that little book I wrote years ago on the right start in our finances. And it was fun. We had a great time. I think we've learned a lot. We've not focused primarily so far on giving. So that's my job this morning. The final principle in our financial fitness series is giving. But I want to I preface that by saying this. In particular, giving to God. And you know, throughout the Bible, we have numerous examples of that. Next level giving. That's our theme, right? You see the banners. They're big. And they say something. And what they say about each one of these core values is, hey, let's go to the next level. So how can we do that in our generosity? Well, we can look at at an example of a willing giver in Genesis chapter number 22. His name was Abraham. And Abraham offered his only son, Isaac. We also see there's a, a giver in the New Testament, Mark chapter 12. She was a widow woman. I call her the big little giver. She gave everything she had, two little mites, and Jesus had a lot of compliments to say about that. And she's become maybe the greatest example of giving giving in the Bible. We also have an example in Mary. We might call her the extravagant giver because in Mark chapter 14, we find that she took this alabaster box of ointment, the most precious thing that she had, And Scripture says she poured it over, the entire thing, over the body of Jesus. And then Jesus paid her this compliment. He said, leave her alone, as they criticized her. He said, she has done what she could. And then, of course, we have another example in Scripture. He's the greatest giver. And you know who that is. God. For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giver. And to be like God, to be more godly, I must become a giver. And though there are many examples of godly givers who went to the next level in their giving throughout the entire Word of God, I'd like to draw your attention this morning to a group of people. A group of people in Scripture 
who were an incredible example of giving. You might think, well, we're a group of people, and we are. We've got a big group here this morning, and we had a group at the 9 o'clock, and there's a group over on Sunshine Road, and there's a a group at the Lake Hamilton campus. There's a group over on uh, 3rd and South, the Spanish campus. We have several groups, four in total, that will meet this morning and come together and honestly have a moment where they can give. But there was a group in Scripture in the first century church, not a rich church, not a rich church at all. In fact, they were not a rich church. Yet they were a church who practiced that. They practiced next level giving. We're going to talk this morning about a group in the Bible called the Macedonians. The major Greek city in the region of Macedonia was the city of Philippi. And Paul wrote to the Philippians and he commended the Philippians. You might Remember that as turning your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Paul wrote to them and Paul commended them for their next level giving. And what Paul does here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which is where the majority of our 42 scriptures are going to come from this morning, Paul looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and he gave an account. He gave an account of this group of people called the Macedonians and how they gave. And we're just going to learn from that group of people couple of thousand years ago, written in Scripture for us today. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. And the question is this. Who has the ability to give an offering to God? And I want to answer it a little differently. Whoever has the ability to spend. If you have the ability to spend then you have the ability to give. And as I mentioned last week, and as we've mentioned every week, God is interested in your money. But his interest is not because he's broke. You know, sometimes I think maybe we wonder, why is God so interested in my money? It's not because he's broke. He's not broke. He's interested in our money because we all need it. Now, there's not a whole lot of places to say amen on giving sermons usually, but that was a good spot. We all need money, right? And God's interested because of that. Because you are important to God, your money is important to God. He's interested in how you secure your money. He's interested in how you spend your money. He's interested in how you save your money. And he's interested in how you share your money. But you know what I think most of all money is about in the Bible? I think that God uses our finances to test us. In fact, most of what I study in Scripture, it comes back to that. God uses money to reveal in us who we are. So so how do we become next-level givers? I want to give you three thoughts, three principles of financial fitness. You might call these three exercises. Since we're talking about fitness, let's, let's get creative here. What are three financial fitness exercises that we can practice? Now, the first one I'm going to give you of three is the foundation of every other one. In fact, I'd like for you to listen to all three, but if for some reason you tune me out uh, and you get sidetracked, it's okay, because if you get one, number two and number three will take care of itself, all right? So number one is this. The first exercise is to make giving yourself to God a priority in your life. You see, we give what we think, or we give to what we think is important. So how do we make giving to God, or giving ourselves to God, a priority in our lives? Well, I want to go again to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and see how the Macedonians did it. How did they give themselves to God? Because Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 8 by telling us that these churches in Macedonia practiced giving by the grace of God. Look at the verse. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God. So Paul starts this entire dialogue, this entire testimony. Paul begins to tell us what he witnessed in the churches at Macedonia by saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God. The grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. But then notice in verse number two, we see that the church had very little. Maybe even we could say they they had nothing. And yet, they had everything. Look at verse two, it says, during a severe trial 
brought about by affliction. We don't know what the severe trial was. I just know this, that I've pastored the same church for 31 years, and there have been severe trials in our church. Maybe some have been financial trials. Sometimes it's, it's what I announced this morning, uh, sickness or folks in the hospital or, or a death in the, in the church family or a trial uh, in, in, in a political atmosphere, trials that we go through as a church, as a city, as a nation. They had this trial brought on by affliction, but their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Think about that. The people in the church were going through difficult times, and yet they were described as being ex- uh, extremely happy. They were in extreme poverty, and they had abundant joy. It's a strange combination, isn't it? They were in extreme poverty, they had abundant joy, and that joy overflowed in generosity. It seems as if it was their generosity that put joy in their spirit. They had wealth on the outside that could trump whatever was happening, or they had wealth on the inside that could trump with whatever was happening on the outside. It's amazing. I want that kind of joy. And so we can learn three things from the Macedonians in this first point. And I want you to think about these three things with me this morning when it comes to that particular verse. And that is this, number one, be willing to do more than you think in your giving. We learn that from them. They were willing to do more than they thought they could. Look, if you would, in verse 3, it says, I can testify. Paul says, you know what? I was there. I saw this. I experienced this. I can testify that according to their ability, and even, this is going to blow your mind, you're not going to believe this, I don't even know, I'm really sure how this could happen, but they did it according to how they could do it, but then they even went beyond that. They gave beyond their ability. Paul said these people gave beyond what he thought was even humanly possible to do. They gave within their means, according to their ability, and they gave above their means, beyond their means, beyond their ability, sacrificially. These people just put their heart into it. And when your heart is in something, your enthusiasm often exceeds your ability. Think about it. When your heart's into something, you can get so excited that sometimes you can exceed what you ever thought you could accomplish. I think that probably applies to, uh, to many other things, but I can tell you as a pastor of the same church for 31 years, and not a rich church, not, not a church full of a lot of wealthy people as we would describe wealth in America. I think all of us would say we're wealthy in comparison to the majority of the world. But as far as churches are concerned, more of an inner city church, and we've never had an abundance of overflow of finances. But for some reason, when the church faced something that seemed impossible, when a little church gathered on the corner of 3rd and South with nothing, with leaks in the roof and, 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 and across from a, a, a honestly, a, a cocaine-saturated apartment where there were oftentimes drive-bys and shootings. Yes, this is our church history. We were robbed 20, 11 times in our first year. 22 windows broken out in the very first year of this church plant. I mean, I look at all that, and then I remember the phone call that Second Baptist wanted to sell us their facilities. The mortgage on those facilities would have been more than our entire giving for an entire month. And yet, somehow, some way, the enthusiasm, we put our heart into it, and our enthusiasm exceeded our ability, and here we are. And I don't know how to describe it. I can't explain it, but I know it's true, and it can happen. It's an amazing thing to think about how God can bless beyond our ability. And then secondly, I want you to notice this about the Macedonians. They also were watching for opportunities to give. They were always looking for ways they could give. Look at verse 4 of the same text. He actually said, and honestly, church, I've pastored for 31 years. Now, I've never experienced this. He says these people actually begged Paul to take their money. That'd be crazy. Can you imagine a pastor sitting in the foyer after church and people say, please, pastor, take more money. Be pretty awesome. They, they begged us earnestly 
And I'm glad you laughed because I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's tongue in cheek on some of this, but I want you to see it. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. The Macedonians had seen the great need had a, and they had a burden for the work of God. They were actually begging Paul to take their money. It seems as if the, this church and these Christians, as soon as they heard there was a need, they were willing to give. And what we learn is we need to be alert to the needs of others. About 25 years ago, as a young preacher, I was sitting in some conference taking notes, and I wrote down a statement, a short little statement that I've never forgotten after all these years, and I've used it a thousand times. See the need? Take the lead. See the need? Take the lead. And that's what they did. If they saw a need in the church or on the property or within the congregation, they moved to respond. And the third principle is really the motivation behind the first two, and that is this. Be wanting to give yourself to God first. Let's go further on in this story. It's in the text. It's in verse 5. It's the next verse. He says, and not just as we had hoped. I mean, we hoped that they would do something, that they would give, that they would respond to our need. But let me tell you, it was not, it was not just as we had hoped. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Listen to how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the Message Bible. I'll just read you the verses I've read so far. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches. It pushed them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected. An outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I I was there. I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could even afford. Pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea. And it caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The first thing they did was give themselves to God. And that, church family, is in itself an offering. I mean, I've heard it said like this, you know, I know we don't pass the plates anymore, but I remember being in a service one time where they said, we're going to pass the plates, and if you don't have any money, do something better. Just put yourself in that plate. Because that's really what God wants. He wants you. He wants you to put himself first before anything else. Because once you give yourself to God, you will give your substance to God. But you've got to give yourself first. So the question is, what are you giving yourself to? It's a fair question. What are you giving yourself to? Think about that. Because when you give yourself, you're intentionally giving yourself, and it has to do with your priorities. And I think that we need to understand that giving is not first about money. Sometimes I think as soon as we say, the message today is on giving, we immediately go to green, to bank accounts to debit cards, to the giving screen. But giving, is, uh, but, but giving is not first about money. It's first about putting God first. That's what it's about. Think about the first commandment in Exodus chapter number 20, beginning in verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. First commandment before every, anything else, do not have other gods besides me. The very first commandment, in essence, says, put God first. And by the way, he deserves to be number one. He, hey, he made me. He created me. Everything that I am, the shoes that I wear, the, the clothes that I wear, the house I God has provided and given me everything I have. But Satan does not want God to come first in your life. So he will do anything he can. He'll tempt you. He'll try to convince you. He'll try to distract you to always give the first things to yourself. That's what he did in the garden. 
No, you don't have to give that to God. Look out for number one, or, or maybe give it to someone else. Just don't give it to God. Give the first part of your day to your phone. Don't give it to God. Give the first day of the week to someone else. How about you? Don't give your, the first day of the week to God. Give the first part of your finances to someone else or to yourself. Don't, just don't give it to God. But God wants us to give first ourselves to Him. There's a text in Matthew chapter 22 that you're very familiar with. I know that you are. The context of the text is the Pharisees were attempting to trap Jesus in a political issue. And so you'll be familiar as Jesus responds and says, show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a coin, a denarius. And Jesus says, and if you're in the habit of marking in your Bibles or highlighting on your iPad, I would ask you to consider highlighting or underlining the next two words. Whose image? Whose image? And inscription is this. He asked them, and they said, Caesar's, as they looked at that coin. It's Caesar. Then he said to them, give then to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. That are God. Notice he turns the debate and brings it back to the topic of image. Because we are created in the image of God. And we need to give ourselves back to the owner. And that's God. Oh, listen, God must be first place in our lives. Paul said it like this, die to self. In essence, the prayer that we prayed a moment ago was about looking, uh, uh, turning away from our own selfishness and turning back to God. And we confess that we struggle with that. And that's why Paul said we must die to self because when you give, you die to all other options. If I had a $100 bill today and I kept it, I would have options. I mean, it's mine, right? I've got it. It's in my pocket or it's in my wallet or I've got this. It's mine. I, I have options. But as soon as I give that $100 bill, I die to all options. I have no more options with that. I've given it away. Make giving yourself to God a priority in your life. Hey, if you're still listening, number two, amen? Make giving to God a proof of your love. Notice Paul gives us the second financial fitness exercise here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 8. He says, I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. Our love is proven and exposed by our choices. He goes on to say, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the example. I love it. He goes to the greatest example, straight to Jesus. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Paul uses the most powerful example of giving out of love. Jesus. Jesus. And I love, again, the paraphrase in the message here. I'm not trying to order you around against your will. By, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I'm hoping to bring out the best in you. You are familiar with the generosity of our Master Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor so that we could become rich. Do you see in the text that loving is about giving? For God so loved the world that he served. For, for God so loved the world that he preached. No. For God so loved the world that he sang. No. John 3.16 clearly says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Love will make you give. Love will make you give. In fact, it reveals our hearts. Again, in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. 
Your treasure never follows your heart. You can take a look at your bank statement, and it will tell you where your heart is. Adrian Rogers once said, a faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. Jesus relishes radical generosity from a heart of love. We see in Mark chapter number 12, beginning in verse 41, it's a fascinating passage of Scripture about the poor widow who gave her two mites, and it begins with this. Sending across from the temple treasury, Jesus, he, Jesus, watched. It's a fascinating way to begin this passage because it makes me wonder if Jesus were sitting here today. Maybe in a corner somewhere. Now, believe me, if he was here and I knew it, he'd be preaching. But, but, but if he was sitting in the building, and, and, and I know he is, but just for sake of example, if he were sitting where you gave online this week, or if he was sitting when you were thinking about, or if he was sitting near, in, in a place where you, the direct deposit dropped into your account that week, I wonder if Jesus was watching if it would make any difference in how we gave. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. But then this poor widow came in, and she dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than everybody else. For they all gave out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, actually she's put in everything she's had, all she had to live on. What a text. I'm convinced that the greater sign of spiritual maturity, the greatest sign of spiritual maturity in our lives and God working in our lives is actually when we want to give. We just want to give. Make giving to God a proof of your love. Number three, and in closing, make giving to God a practice that lasts. A practice. So I have a question. Does God give us a practice to follow in Scripture just to to show us that, that He is the priority in our lives and to prove our love to Him? Is there a practice in Scripture? The answer is yes, there is. And it's called the principle of tithes and offerings. Listen to Malachi chapter three real quickly here. He says, since the days of your ancestors, you've turned from my statutes. You've not kept them, then, uh, yet you ask, how can we return? He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Well, well, how have we robbed you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth, the tithe, and the contributions. You're offering, you are suffering rather under a curse. Yet you and the whole nation are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth. Bring the tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And then for the first and only time in Scripture, Jesus says something he's never said about anything else. He says, test me. Prove me. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour you out a blessing without measure. So let's begin just for a moment talking about what exactly is the tithe. Well, the word tithe literally means 10%. That's what it means. It's 10%. 10%, it's the same for everyone. We may not all give the same amount, but we can all give the same percentage. Tithing is the spiritual habit of giving back to God the first percent of everything that I make. And to make it real simple, if I make $100, then I recognize God gave me that $100. It all comes from Him. That's what we heard from really all the preachers, but for sure Daniel focused on that. It all comes from him, so I give back to put God first, 10% of what God has given me, the 100% he gave me. If it's $1,000, 10% would simply be $100. I keep 90% and I give 10%. Why 10%? I don't know. I'm sure by now you're thinking, man, if it was 5%, it'd be so much better. <laughs> I don't know why it's 10%. What about 20%? It's 10%. The point is, God doesn't need your money. 
That, that's not the point. The point is not the percentage. The point in all of this is he just wants what your money represents. And that's your heart. And the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. That's the purpose from the very beginning. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, back to the, to the Old Testament. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine, fresh oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell. So that, here's the reason, so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. You'll always learn to put God first. But tithing is also an honor issue. In Proverbs 3, 9, it says to honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Now, one of the discussions that I've heard, and sometimes it can turn into somewhat of a theological debate, is that tithing is an Old Testament thing. And it was only for the Jewish people who were under the law. But this morning, what I'd like to do is take a moment and show you how the Bible clearly teaches us that tithing is actually all the way through the Scriptures. And when it comes to the topic of tithing, simply put, we're going to learn a couple of things as we close the service. There's three things that we we need to learn and remember about tithing. First of all, tithing was a pattern before the law was ever in place. It was a pattern. Before the law of God was given, people tithed. Abraham specifically commended it In the book of Genesis, chapter 14 and verse 20, and blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you, and Abram, Abraham gave him a tenth, a tithe of everything. Jacob continued it before the law in Genesis 28, 22, where it says, this stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth, a tithe of all that you gave to me. So tithing was a pattern before the law. But secondly, tithing was a precept under the law. Because under the law, people had to tithe. Under the law of God, people had no choice but to do it. And Moses condoned it. In Leviticus 27.30, he said, every tithe or every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Malachi, as we read a moment ago, he commanded it. He said in Malachi 3.10, bring the full tenth, the full tenth, the tithe, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me. Test me to see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. Jesus went on to commend it. In Matthew 23.23, Jesus said about tithing, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you pay a tenth. You pay a tithe of mint and dill and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things, like the tithe, you should have done without neglecting the others. I believe this and other things in the New Testament indicate that Jesus practiced tithing in his own life. And then tithing was a principle after the law. God actually commissioned it. In 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14, we read, Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In other words, the Old Testament priests and Levites lived off of the people's tithes and offerings. But then he goes on to say about the New Testament, he says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. New Testament preachers and pastors live off of the giving of God's people. And I mean, I'm, I'm part of that giving, but I'll, I live off of the giving of, and the generosity of God's people. This building, these lights, these facilities, all of this is, is because of the gifts, the tithing, the offerings, the generosity, the sacrifice of God's people. This scripture implies that even under Paul's preaching in the Gentile churches, he was teaching them about tithing. And then Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16 too, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and to save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. God's plan for financing the local church is for those who are being fed there, those who are worshiping there, those who are being helped there, should give there. 
should give at that place. I realize we can give at a number of places. But I think Scripture clearly teaches that the designated place of tithing is the church you call home. In the Old Testament, Malachi says, bring it to the storehouse. He said, bring it to the place where they worshiped. Well, today we worship at the local church. And tithing is an act of worship. In fact, my brother Brett talked about that for a good period of his message. Biblical generosity is worship. And tithing reminds us it's all God's to begin with. It's like saying when I tithe God, I wouldn't have anything without you. I understand that. I recognize that, God. Everything I have is because you gave it to me. And God, I want to honor you. And I want to give you this tenth. In the New Testament, clearly, financial giving among God's people focuses on grace. It focuses on generosity. It focuses on the heart, not the actual percentage of your income. The 10% becomes a great principle to follow because it's been God's pattern all throughout Scripture. But God's people today are not under the law and they are not commanded to tithe. But, like everything else, our grace-giving is to exceed Old Testament requirements of the law. 10% should be a base. 10% should be a benchmark. 10% should be a floor, but definitely not a ceiling. A great place to begin, but not to end. I can only speak for my wife and I, but as a testimony of one of the 250 family household giving units of our church, I can say that through 35 years of marriage and 31 years of tithing here, there have been times when I could have used, we could have used that 10%. Times where our finances were lean, And things were tight and tough, sometimes because we brought it on ourselves. Times in our marriage where there's been some credit card debt or some situations that we had maybe made some not shrewd decisions. Times where my wife was sick and the medical bills were relentless. There's been times where that 10% would have looked a lot better, in my opinion, maybe in our bank account. But I can testify, after all these years, I can testify that when you put God first, He always comes through. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's it's unbelievable. And our attitude in giving matters. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. You see, tithing is not meant to be a drudgery. It's meant to be a delight. You know, I, I, I think some of you know this too. I kind of make fun of it sometimes. Kind of one of the reasons why I like to live, live in the hood, live on 3rd Street, is because I like to go to nice restaurants. And the only way I can afford a nice restaurant is to live on 3rd Street. I laugh when I say that. But I like a nice restaurant. And so I'll take my wife out. We'll go. We're taking an anniversary trip this week. So I, I've already looked at a few <clears throat> Italian restaurants. Can I get an amen right there? That felt good, didn't it? And so we're going to go to a couple of really, not, really nice restaurants. And, and it's gonna, they're going to be a little pricey. And we'll get the menu and, and uh, I'll say, honey, get whatever you want. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared. And so she, she might order something. And she might even order something a little expensive. And then when she gets it, I cannot believe you're using this opportunity to take advantage of me. What are you doing, honey? I mean, come on. No way. No way. I'm even going to hope she gets something. She's my wife. I'm spending time with her. We've been married 35 years. I I, I just want to give to her because I love her. Tithing is meant to be that way. God, you're so awesome. You're so amazing. You're so good. I've got a church family. I've got a place to worship. I mean, the country I live in, the city I live in, the blessings of God, the clothes I wear, the food I eat. God, you're so amazing. Here, God. That's what tithing is meant to be. I am thankful for the members at Gospelite who through these years have faithfully given to the Lord each week. I'm thankful for those who are new to our church who are just learning this principle. But I can't help but to wonder what it would be like to pastor a church where everyone tithed. 
And so as I close, I've got a couple of things that I did. I studied a little bit of just, his, just data about our community. And I want to share it with you if you don't mind. It's just interesting. I thought you might find this interesting. I did, and I hope you will. First of all, if in 2021, the American household, or rather the American community survey reported that the average household income in Hot Springs is 58855 Now, when I first saw that, I was thinking, okay, the average income? No, not, not the average income, but the average household income is that. So the average of all. Remember I said we don't all give the same amount. We, we, we can give the same percentage. We're all in a different place in our household incomes. But the average in Hot Springs is in any of those houses would have a husband and a wife and maybe others that are making money. But the average is 58,855. And the approximate number of families and households in our church on the conservative side. Now, I asked Jeff if he'd get me this number. And Jeff said, preacher, this is a conservative figure. I, I didn't want to exaggerate it. I probably could have put a few more. But I went on the low side of all of our campuses and all of our giving, about 250 families, households. Therefore, the total yearly income of 250 households is $14,713,750. Now, that, that, that would be, obviously, every income combined if we're averaging that 58.5. I realize that. But this is the figure, just, just for sake of example. So 10% of tithe of 250 household incomes is $1.4 million, $71,375. It'd be 28000 a week, if, if, we, if, if, the, if the stats are true. So, our average giving is about eighteen three a week. We're a little down on our budget this, this week, but let's just say we're giving our budget. eighteen three would be our budget, which is 952500 a year. So, the average percentage per giving household is 6%. So, if you take all of this data and you look at a percentage, it would be we're averaging 6% giving at Gospel Light. Imagine if our giving increased by just 1%. Just 1%. And it's just an example. But our giving would increase every year $147,137. So, by example, if you earned... 1,000 per week and increased your giving by 1%, that would mean you would give the Lord $10 more. I just wanted you to see something as we conclude the series, and especially since it is on giving and specifically giving to the Lord. I wanted you to also recognize that in our audience, we're all coming from different backgrounds and different situations. None of us are quite the same, right? Maybe even spiritually mature, how long we've been in church. Even understanding what is a tithe and what does it mean? Hopefully we know more now. But I think there could be potentially four different givers in the building. And whatever one you come under, I would just ask that you would go to the next level or pray about going to the next level. The first giving level would probably be a beginning giver. And I have this in your notes, a beginning giver. Just someone who starts giving for the first time. It, it could actually be somebody who came for the first time today and they put a dollar in the offering plate or 50 cents or $5. Praise the Lord. I mean, that's a gift we didn't get last week. And that's a gift when I say we the Lord didn't get last week. And that's a gift. And so a first-time giver is a great thing. This is someone who would just simply say, look, I, I'm not sure about all the rest of it. I, I, I'm not really familiar with this, but I, I'm going to give for the first time today. Can we celebrate that as a church family? Amen. I can celebrate a first-time giver. Someone who just says, you know what? I'm going to take the next step and give for the first time. Secondly, I think there could be a basic giver in the church. And I know we have a lot of those. These would be folks that just, they give when they come. It may be, what have I got in my, I got 20, but hey, give that, honey, or let's write a check. We usually write a check for $50 when we come. Let's, let's do that again. Or, and that's great. A basic giver, someone who just gives when they come. They, they, it's, it's not necessarily systematic, but, but maybe this person could look at increasing their giving by 1% or 2% in their regular giving to the Lord. If you're giving when you come, thank you. It's amazing. But maybe you could increase a little. And then thirdly, I think in this room, there's probably quite a few biblical givers. I mean, if we're giving 6% as a church, there's probably quite a few giving 10%. And that's an amazing thing. Biblical tithing each week, giving God 10%. This is complete obedience to God. And by the way, 
this does honor the Lord, so it's to be commended. And maybe those that are giving 10%, maybe those could say, you know what, I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the next level and give, I'll give a half percent or 1% more. I'll increase on my being a biblical giver, somewhat of a rigid 10% giver. But then finally, there's what I think could be a bountiful giver. This is someone who would give over and above their tithes and offerings. Maybe this is someone who gives to missions and is looking forward to increasing that at the missions conference in about three weeks. This could be someone who looks forward to the sacrificial giving through the, through the uh, Annie Armstrong offering or the recent Dixie Jackson offering. And, and these, are, these are ways that we can give sacrificially three or four different times a year. Or maybe when you hear about a building project like the nursery or the kids' educational wing or some other part of the property and we're trying to raise a little bit of money and, and, and you always look for those opportunities because the first 10% isn't generosity. The first 10% is obedience. Be generous with your time, your talents, your treasures. Generosity begins with sacrifice. So maybe the biblical, or rather the bountiful giver could say, you know what? I'm going to go to the next level and give just a little bit more. Imagine with me how much our reach and influence for Christ could extend as we tithe or give an increase in our tithing. You're going to be presented with some opportunities when we have the missions revival, church plants. By the way, if you were able to come to Freddie and Angelica's presentation on Friday night of their new nonprofit called Ashes to Life. You were moved if you were there. As Angelica tearfully shared her story about being raised in a Honduran village, and she sat here this morning with her husband, and she sits here every Sunday and serves and loves and lives. But God has burdened Angelica to go back to that little small village in Honduras like she was raised in, and, and, to, and, to, and she was given a chance by a Christian to go to a Christian school. She got saved there. She got to America from there. She went to a Christian college there. She met Freddie, and now she serves in our church, and she wants to do that for other little children in Honduras. And when I heard that, I, like many of you, went straight home and give, gave. Because my eye affects my heart, right? My ear affects my heart. My enthusiasm sometimes exceeds my ability, but God always blesses. Maybe you're looking for those opportunities as a bountiful giver. And so what I'd like to do in closing is challenge you to take God up on his promise. What promise, preacher? Malachi 3.10. Here it is. Go to that Malachi 3.10 real quick. So, or, uh, Billy. Test me in this way. Oh, that's the challenge. That's the promise. God says, test me. Test me in this way. And so we are calling this challenge, the 10 for 10 campaign. 10% for 10 weeks. Let God prove that he can take the 90% farther than you can take the 100%. That's a pretty cool thought, isn't it? Do you believe that? If you believe that, then test God. Prove him. Let him bless your life and reward your faith with more faith. And so you have in your bulletin as we close this series, a 10 for 10 challenge. 10% for 10 weeks. Testing God. I want to read it to you as we close. Giving giving isn't just about money. It's a reflection of where your heart is in relation to God. The Bible tells us to test God through tithing. A tithe, which means a tenth, is defined as the first 10% of a person's income that is returned to God through the local church. Tithing is a biblical principle that invites God's blessings on our lives and families as we put him first in our finances, and it opens our hearts to his plans. Tithing is one of the most tangible ways we can worship God. Tithing is essential to what we've been calling financial fitness. There's only one place in the Bible where God told his followers to put him to the test. When teaching about generosity, God said, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. We understand that giving 10% of your income can be big and often frightening. That's why we've created a 10 for 10 challenge because we believe wholeheartedly that God blesses those who live generously 
So we want to issue a challenge in three ways. And we'd like to encourage you if you'd like to participate. And nobody's going to see these but Jeff. In fact, I won't even look at them. I promise. I'll just ask Jeff, how many people participated? How many folks decided to, to go to the next level in the month of September in their generosity? You could check this box. I'm going to trust God to give 10% for 10 weeks. And, and that wouldn't be my wife and I. I wouldn't check that box. We're already doing that. But maybe that would be something you would be willing to take. The second one says, I'm going to begin giving. That would be somebody who says, look, I'm not sure about this 10%, but I'll start. I'll give 1%. I'll give something every week. Something. I'll, I'll give a Starbucks coffee. I'll give a McDonald's. I spent $1.12 on my McDonald's coffee this morning. I, I chose to do that. I spent that money on coffee with three creams. It was delicious. Maybe next week I take that dollar and say, I'll go without the coffee and that'll be extra. But, but something. And then the third one is what I would check, Carol Ann, is I'm going to increase my giving. I would, I, would, I would check that one. I would say, you know, I've been doing this, but I want to do more. I want to participate in this 10 for 10 challenge. So I'm going to put my name there and check that last box and put that in that offering box and be a part of what God is doing. You know, I'm not sure that God hasn't timed this series for a purpose that you and I don't know about yet. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it's the missions conference coming up. Maybe there's something God is preparing us for when we hear about the Dominican Republic and church planting and Freddie and Angelica's ashes to life. Maybe that'll be, I'm I'm not sure. Maybe it's a building project. Maybe it's a remodel. Maybe it's the homeless that we need. I don't know what God is doing, but I know we could be on the precipice of something that God wants to do to pour out his blessings. And he just needs a church to bless. And I think this puts us in that place. So this morning, if you've come here today and you would say, you know, I I don't know about this giving God first thing. I've never given God my life, my heart. I challenge you this morning. I'll be up front and I'd love to pray with you. Anybody, I'd love to pray with anybody actually that would need prayer. If you need prayer, I invite you to come forward. There'll be two or three elders up front here. We'll, We'll be glad to pray with you. If you never have accepted Christ, I'd love to pray with you. If you've accepted Christ, but you'd love to come and and just pray, take a moment at the altar and pray. Just use this as a, a place where you can establish a new covenant with God, a commitment with God, a promise about your giving. However God leads you to respond, enjoy the worship, enjoy God, and let's make some decisions this morning. Father, I love you. I'm so grateful today for the opportunity to preach, to for the voice, for the energy for the enthusiasm to be able to take this subject of financial fitness and conclude this core value, generosity, with this message. Father, would you bless it? Continue to bless our church. Move on our congregation. Lord, may we learn some things this week, this month, that we put into practice. And thank you, God, for being generous to us. By being our greatest example of giving, by sending your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for that. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand together?